Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Mark Eatonson. Welcome to Heal NPD. Despite being one of the more popular mental health topics online, pathological narcissism and NPD are very misunderstood. Misinformation, confusion, and stigmatizing representations whip people into a frenzied state of fear and loathing of this disorder while leading them down unhelpful paths. So in this episode, I'll address some of the more common mistakes about narcissism. Misconception number one, NPD is not a mental illness. The American Psychiatric Association is the largest professional organization of psychiatrists in the world. They also publish the DSM, which is the standard diagnostic system for mental disorders used in the United States. The APA basically defines mental illness, categorizing it into a system of disorders that clinicians use to diagnose their patients. Now, according to the APA, all diagnosable mental disorders are forms of mental illness, and that includes personality disorders like NPD. They go on to say that mental illness consists of two main features, changes in thoughts, feelings, or behaviors, and problems and or distress in work, family, or social settings. The APA also publishes peer-reviewed journals. One of them featured this article titled Narcissistic Personality Disorder, Progress in Recognition and Treatment. Here's a quote. Major depressive disorder is the most common comorbid disorder in patients with pathological narcissism or NPD. The need for self-enhancement and chronic disillusionment with self make these individuals particularly susceptible to substance use. Suicidal preoccupation in these patients is characterized by self-esteem dysregulation and life events that decrease self-esteem. The diagnostic focus on patients' external characteristics and interpersonal behavior tends to dismiss the importance of their internal distress and painful experiences of self-esteem fluctuations, self-criticism, and emotional dysregulation." End quote. Now this is a clear description of mental illness, involving changes in thinking, feeling, and behavior, and involving clear problems and distress that include risk of suicide and comorbid disorders like major depressive disorder. Whatever else you've heard, personality disorders like NPD and less severe forms of narcissistic pathology like pathological narcissism are absolutely 100% mental illnesses. Misconception number two, NPD is untreatable. This is an old misconception that simply won't die. In part, it's a holdover from the early mid 20th century when the field of psychology had not advanced enough to treat many forms of psychopathology, including pathological narcissism. However, the field has advanced considerably since the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. We have a much better understanding of narcissistic pathology and of the unique forms of transference that occur with narcissistic patients in therapy. There's been a revolution in the understanding of pathologies like BPD and NPD. Several therapy approaches have been developed specifically to treat these issues. Here's another quote from the article I referenced earlier. Expected outcome in treatment of NPD is dependent on a number of factors, including treatment modality and focus, the patient's motivation and ability to establish and sustain an alliance with the treatment provider, types of identified and processed problems, and external life circumstances that either support or intervene with treatment. Basically, the authors are saying that treatment effectiveness depends on the individual, 
and the same could be said for literally any other mental disorder. The article goes on to list the following treatment approaches for NPD. Psychoanalysis and psychoanalytic psychotherapy, psychodynamic psychotherapy, transference-focused psychotherapy, schema-focused psychotherapy, metacognitive interpersonal psychotherapy, group therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, and mentalization-based therapy. They further list the following five areas of change that are central to treatment of NPD. Interpersonal and vocational functioning, sense of agency, emotional regulation, reflective ability, and the ability to mourn. In a future video, I'll go through each of these treatment targets and why they're important. But for now, just know that there are numerous treatment approaches with demonstrated effectiveness in treating NPD. Are any of them guaranteed to work? No. There's no such thing as a treatment in mental health that is 100% effective. Treatment depends on the individual and also on the goodness of fit between the clinician, the approach, and the patient. Whatever you've heard about NPD not being treatable, it's not correct. NPD is treatable. There is hope for meaningful change if the person is motivated and willing to do the work. Misconception number three. Even if NPD is treatable, the gains are superficial. Healing from this disorder is not possible. This one reflects the widespread misconception that people with NPD are somehow fundamentally broken. I hear about it all the time in my practice, and I read about it in emails from people around the world. Many of them are terrified, some to the point where they're contemplating suicide. They feel like a lost cause, and everywhere they turn for information about this disorder, all they see are unsympathetic, stigmatizing representations. Not a good combination for a disorder that centers on unstable self-esteem. Unlike the previous point about treatment options for NPD, this one's a little bit more subjective. The question of whether or not someone can, quote, heal from the disorder is largely a matter of perspective and the theoretical model through which we're conceptualizing pathological narcissism. From the name of this channel, it should be clear that I believe it's possible to heal. I use psychoanalytic psychotherapy to treat issues like pathological narcissism and NPD. Remember, that was one of the treatments listed in the article I cited earlier. My approach is heavily informed by three schools of thought, object relations, self-psychology, and the contemporary relational model. Through this treatment lens, disorders like BPD and NPD are seen as developmental arrests that result from early and chronic relational trauma. The person becomes stuck in an archaic mode of relating. They become reliant on developmentally immature coping mechanisms that tend to distort reality disrupt the continuity of internal experience, and blur the boundaries between the self and other people. Over time, these issues create issues of their own, heaping new injuries on old ones and sending the person down ever more unhelpful paths, leaving them vulnerable to additional traumas that in turn perpetuate the cycle. Treatment is a matter of helping the person to grow and develop the capacities to negotiate life without heavy reliance on archaic coping mechanisms like projection, projective identification, denial, and splitting. It's about encouraging the development of important capacities like those listed earlier, agency, emotional regulation, reflective ability, and the ability to mourn. These changes are accomplished by providing the conditions in therapy that weren't necessarily present in the person's early care environment. Things like emotional validation, the experience of being seen for who they are on the inside, 
a space where it's possible to explore feelings of shame, a space where there's care, consistency, accountability, honesty, warmth, and most importantly, a space where there's empathy. It consists in walking a delicate line between validating feelings without gratifying pathological perspectives and behaviors. And this, by the way, is in direct agreement with the current peer-reviewed literature on the treatment of pathological narcissism and NPD. It's a model that's based on implicit trust of the patient's intrinsic capacity for growth when presented with the right conditions. This approach is based on an inside-out understanding of the central issues involved in pathological narcissism, rather than the common error of focusing on external behavior. More importantly, it holds the patient's humanity at the very center of the treatment, and it makes space for the pain and anguish that live at the heart of the disorder. Okay, so let's say it's possible, through hard work and dedication, to push through the developmental stuckness, to heal the wounded self, and develop more adaptive ways of coping and communicating. Does that constitute a cure? Well, yes and no. We don't really talk about cures in mental health. Mental disorders are not like medical disorders. We may someday develop a coherent neurological model of mental illness, but for now, we can seldom locate the broken brain circuitry that we presume causes the problem. We therefore don't really cure mental disorders. We treat them. People get better over time. They feel less distressed. They function more effectively. They're better able to devote the time and mental energy to things that matter in their lives. They become better at coping. They become better at being able to see themselves realistically and to treat themselves and other people with kindness and respect. Now, for some people, we might as well call this a cure. But since we didn't really understand on a biological level what was causing the problem in the first place, we can't really say that the problem is gone for good. In the case of personality disorders, it's absolutely possible to help someone grow and develop the necessary capacities such that they would no longer qualify for a diagnosis of personality disorder. However, they'll likely always retain the personality style that corresponded to the personality disorder. And that's okay. We all have one or more dominant personality styles. A narcissistic personality style is one in which the central concerns are about self-worth and the primary defensive adaptations are about maintaining self-esteem. The, quote, disorder part comes into play when the person is unable to adequately cope with those central concerns and their life begins to fall apart. Having a narcissistic personality style doesn't make someone a narcissist or mean that they have NPD. When I work with someone who has NPD, I tell them that they'll probably always have narcissistic concerns about self-worth, but that the level of distress that they feel about those concerns and the amount that those concerns dominate their life and relationships will likely improve. And that's about as close to a cure as we can get. Misconception number four, all narcissists are abusers. This is an especially difficult one because it seems to be about advocating for victims. People understandably want to place a spotlight on the harm that people with NPD can cause to those around them. In my very first video, I outlined the ways that the current diagnostic criteria for NPD are partly responsible for this, because they focus exclusively on grandiose traits of the disorder. And that was a reaction by the American Psychiatric Association in the mid-1980s to the perception that their diagnostic system was too heavily steeped in psychoanalytic models of psychopathology. 
Narcissism is, after all, originally a psychoanalytic concept. The term was popularized by Freud himself in 1914. So to create a theoretically neutral diagnostic system, the APA revised the definition of NPD so that it focused only on observable traits. Unfortunately, this removed the heart of the disorder and made NPD into sort of a hollow caricature with traits that seem to come and go depending on the situation. Recall the article cited earlier, the one that warned against the mistakes of focusing only on external attributes of NPD. To really understand the disorder, we need to look beyond grandiosity. People have been writing about this ever since the APA changed the diagnostic criteria for NPD in the 1980s. Here's a quote from an article that appeared around that time. The desire to exclude reference to dynamically unconscious mental activity continues to hamper some categories. For example, narcissistic personality disorder easily describes the overtly aggressive expression of narcissistic conflict, but deals poorly with the equally disturbed, quiet, passive narcissistic patients whose grandiosity is concealed behind a facade of compliance or shyness." End quote. The current DSM description of NPD provides a clinical picture of an entitled, arrogant, unsympathetic individual who demands constant praise and admiration. And while this certainly describes one possible narcissistic presentation, it by no means represents all possible presentations. By removing mention of the more vulnerable features, including fragility of self, introjective preoccupations, feelings of worthlessness, shame, and humiliation, difficulties in close relationships, depression, illness anxiety, social anxiety, social isolation, and suicidality, the APA has elevated one pole of narcissistic disturbance at the expense of the other. The last 20 years of research have been slowly rediscovering those discarded facets of NPD. A growing number of peer-reviewed articles have been calling for a new revision of the diagnostic criteria for this disorder, one that grounds it in deficits and disabilities rather than the current picture of vanity, egotism, and arrogance. In 2013, the DSM-5 took an important step in this direction with the inclusion of an alternative diagnostic criteria for NPD that emphasizes impairment in at least two of the following four areas of life, identity, self-direction, empathy, and intimacy. Similarly, the DSM-5 text revision released in 2022 contains important additions to the diagnostic description of NPD that includes fragile self-esteem, perfectionism, vulnerability to emotional overwhelm, and suicidality. But unfortunately, these additions have yet to appear in the actual diagnostic checklist that everyone references when they make videos or write articles describing narcissism. However slowly, we are restoring a more comprehensive picture of this form of mental illness, one that's grounded in psychological distress and dysfunction and one that views arrogance and grandiosity as symptoms of a disorder that's really about self-image, that's really about identity, and that's really about deficits in the ability to relate authentically in relationships. And this is why I'm always emphasizing that NPD and pathological narcissism are forms of mental illness. I don't say that to undermine a person's responsibility for their actions. I say it because we need to think about pathological narcissism as a comprehensible condition one that's based on a disordered system of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. This system has a kind of internal logic. 
it makes sense when you think about it as a mental illness instead of, quote, the asshole disorder. Simply labeling people with NPD as abusers, predators, or evil tells us nothing about what's actually happening on the inside, and that disempowers everyone. People who are hurt or abused can't make sense of what happened, because there's no sense to be made beyond, these people are abusers. People with NPD can't heal if the only information available is people with NPD are abusers. And society can't make sense of the dynamics that lead to and result from NPD amidst a never-ending chorus of, they're all abusers, full stop. Pathological narcissism is not a fancy term for abuser. Mental illness does not cause abusive behavior. Please don't take my word for it. Here's what the National Domestic Violence Hotline has to say about this. A common assumption we hear at the hotline is that abuse is caused by a person's mental health condition. For example, bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, narcissistic personality, borderline personality, or antisocial personality. While these are serious mental health conditions, they do not cause abuse. Nothing in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 5th edition, states that a mental illness solely causes a partner to be abusive in a relationship. However, there are a select few diagnoses that can increase the risk of abusive patterns to show up in a relationship and in other areas of life. Mental illness tends to impact all areas of a person's life, such as work, interactions with friends, family engagement, and personal relationships. In contrast, Abuse primarily impacts personal relationships and typically not the other areas of life." End quote. Sometimes, the internal conflicts that cause pathological narcissism are expressed in the form of interpersonal antagonism, and that can lead to abusive behaviors. As stated in the quote I just read, some diagnoses can increase the risk of abusive behaviors, but the behaviors themselves are not caused by NPD. There are, in fact, many forms of mental illness that can increase the likelihood of abusive patterns of behavior. Mental disorders change the way a person thinks, feels, or behaves, causing problems or distress in work, family, or social settings. While it's generally true that people with mental illnesses are more likely to be the victims of abuse, it's also true that people with mental illness experience changes in perception, judgment, impulse control, and behavior. These changes sometimes lead to mistreatment or abuse of other people. NPD is by no means alone in this regard. We need to be able to say things about NPD and pathological narcissism beyond those people are abusers. We need to be able to actually treat this disorder, and people who suffer from it need access to information that consists of more than pictures of devils or evil-eyed people surrounded by mist and smoke. So if you're trying to shut down discourse about the actual mental illness behind NPD, you aren't doing anyone any favors. You're actually perpetuating mental health stigma. You're making it harder for people to get treatment. And you're most likely making it harder for everyone to heal, perhaps yourself included. Misconception number five. NPD can't be a mental illness because narcissists change their behavior depending on the situation. Okay, this is a big one. It rests on a fundamental misunderstanding of one of the main issues in personality disorders like BPD and NPD, which is something called splitting. When someone with NPD, quote, love bombs, 
What they're really doing is idealizing. And idealizing new romantic partners is part of the diagnostic criteria for NPD. The second diagnostic criterion listed in the DSM is preoccupation with fantasies of unlimited power, success, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Idealization is one side of a psychological split that occurs in pathological narcissism and NPD. The other side is devaluation. Idealizing inevitably turns into devaluing. As a clinician, when I experience a patient idealizing me, I know that I need to buckle up because eventually it will turn to devaluation. And this is not some voluntary or intentional process on the part of the patient. It's based on unconscious personality dynamics that rewrite both the present moment and all of history. When a person with NPD or BPD idealizes you, they literally can't see any of your flaws. Furthermore, they have no recollection in that state of mind of you ever having had any flaws. And this is a prime example of the sort of distorted perception that's inherent in personality disorders like NPD. When the equation flips and they begin to devalue you, they literally can't see anything good about you. Furthermore, history is rewritten in that state of mind so that they can't remember ever having seen anything good about you. And this is a well-documented phenomenon. According to the American Psychological Association's Dictionary of Psychology, splitting is, quote, a defense mechanism used to protect someone from conflict in which objects provoking anxiety and ambivalence are dichotomized into extreme representations with either positive or negative qualities, resulting in polarized viewpoints that fluctuate in extremes of seeing the self and others as either all good or all bad. End quote. People who don't understand splitting will mistake the sudden and extreme reversal from idealization to devaluing as a form of deception. They will think that the person was just buttering them up in order to use them. After they got what they wanted, they dropped or discarded them. But that's not what's actually happening when we talk about splitting. The narcissist is genuinely swept up in their idealizations. They truly believe that they've finally found the perfect love object, the perfect job, or the perfect friend. But the coin eventually flips. Eventually, the idealizations turn to devaluations, and the narcissist begins to see only disappointment, only inadequacy, only contempt. This love bomb slash discard cycle is caused by splitting, not some nefarious plan to use and throw people away. The narcissist is also victimized by this cycle, by the way. They continually think they've finally found the one, only to have everything turned to garbage because of their own psychological dynamics. All of us, you, me, people with NPD, we're all more likely to blur the boundaries between ourselves and the people with whom we're close, including family members, romantic partners, and our children. That's just a fact of human relationships. But when a person has a personality disorder, those blurred boundaries become more extreme. There's a higher likelihood that the narcissistic individual will project idealized or devalued parts of their own self onto those people with whom they live, because those relationships tend to be more emotionally charged and also more familiar. They're therefore more likely to treat family members or romantic partners with contempt, to devalue or criticize them, or to express their emotional disconstraint at them in the form of emotional or even physical abuse. 
But what about when they suddenly switch from angry and derisive behavior behind closed doors to smiling and friendly behavior at the neighborhood barbecue? How are they able to switch so suddenly, so seemingly completely? Doesn't that mean that their behavior is a choice? Doesn't that mean that they're evil? No. NPD is not a highly visible disorder. The dysfunctions tend to be somewhat concealed behind a facade of high-performing charm and affability. And this is a consequence of the disorder itself. Narcissism involves the creation of a false self that hides internal distress and conflict. Again, this is why the authors of the article cited earlier warn that we can't simply focus on external appearances in NPD. It's not the whole story. The external appearance conceals the actual disordered parts of the personality. Chances are, you can sit nicely at a fancy restaurant, even if you aren't feeling particularly calm. I'm sure you can code switch when talking to a uniformed police officer, even if you've done nothing wrong. You're probably more respectful, more deferential. Even if you were screaming at your kids in the back seat two minutes before pulling over, you probably do your best to appear calm and in control when the police officer walks up to your window. These are basic social adaptations that we all use to function in society. We speak respectfully at job interviews. We dress up to go to church. We smile and say, I'm fine, how are you? To acquaintances at work. The ability to superficially change our behavior does not mean that we don't have a mental illness. It just means that we can function well enough to hold a job and not get carted off to jail. These social cues are strong and we learn them when we're very young. Just because a person with NPD sits nicely at church or smiles and tells a joke to a stranger at the store doesn't mean they aren't mentally ill. There are many forms of mental illness that don't necessarily involve profound loss of control over one's behavior. NPD is one of them. The combination of an emotionally charged situation in the context of a close and familiar relationship increases the likelihood that the person with NPD will start blurring boundaries and projecting. And that's why their behavior seems to fluctuate based on the situation. It's actually a facet of the disorder itself, not an argument against them having a mental illness. Okay, so that's all for today. I hope this has been helpful in clearing up some of these misconceptions. If this information felt controversial to you, or if it flew in the face of everything you've read or heard about narcissism, then consider the possibility that you've been consuming misinformation. Everything I've said here can be backed up by numerous bona fide references, authoritative sources on mental illness, like the American Psychiatric Association, the American Psychological Association, and peer-reviewed clinical and research literature. There's a lot of really bad messaging out there about NPD. No one is saying it isn't a problematic form of mental illness, but it's a mental illness nonetheless, and it's also one that can be treated. So if you or a loved one have this disorder, don't give up hope. Until next time, take good care.